Alrighty, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Bare Naked Health Podcast. And on the line today, I have Jeff Chilton. Jeff, I'm always interested about hearing about people's health journey. If you wouldn't mind sharing with us uh, yours up until this point. Well, um, I have to say I'm I'm a, a child of the '60s, and the '60s was really kind of a revolutionary time for a lot of us because we were questioning so many things. One of which was diet and you know, uh, that to me is probably the most important thing I can do for my health is how I eat. And, and back then, believe me, we were we were experimenting with all sorts of different diets, including just brown rice and things like that. But but it was definitely a shift to where we were much more aware of what we were actually eating and um, the types of uh, you know all the processed foods that are out there, trying to avoid those and get with a, a diet that was much more rich in natural products that were not so well processed. The other thing I would like to say about my journey is that I was a tobacco smoker for 20 years and I don't know why I did it, but I did and I finally let go of that about 20 years ago and that was probably one of the biggest things that I had been doing to damage my health and that now I can I can look back on it and go, wow, I, I feel so much better today because I, I don't do anything like that. I don't I don't uh, smoke. I rarely drink alcohol. My diet's good, and I do my best to exercise um, every day. Especially uh, when I get out and about, uh, I like to do a lot of walking. Walking to me is really important. So where do mushrooms come into play in that because i mean that's that's been it sounds like a big part of your passion uh for a big part of your life like where did that come into play like when did that all start was that in the questioning of the diets of the 60s uh or is that something that you just picked up more along the way well uh, i was uh, born and raised in the pacific northwest and we're evergreen there and the reason is that we've got lots of rainfall and so we've got mushrooms coming up all around us and and you know at that time in the 60s we were also doing some experimenting with things and and I was quite fascinated with the whole idea of uh, magic mushrooms at the time and I'll tell you my study at university was in anthropology and I was studying the use of mushrooms uh, in native uh, shamanism and in native healing and so I also took a course in mycology so in a sense I was uh, studying ethnomycology and it just kind of took off from there. It went out, out of university. Um, of course, you don't get a, a job in anthropology. So, so um, my, my mycology professor actually said, look, why don't you go down the road an hour from here and there's a big mushroom farm there. Go down there and get a job and you can learn how to grow mushrooms. And I was just like, yeah, that is absolutely what I want to do. So I went down to this farm. I applied for a job. I got one and I was there for 10 years. <laughs> and then it just kind of sprung up from there. Just it just developed the passion from that point. Well, well, you know, you know, the interesting thing about it was that I literally lived with the mushrooms because this was a this was not a small farm. This was a big farm. We were growing two million pounds of mushrooms a year, and I worked wow. my way up to to a head grower and and production manager. And so I was in. We had um, every week. We had four new houses of, of uh, 
what it takes to grow mushrooms going into these rooms every week. So that's four times 50. That's 200 new crops every week. So, so think about this, 200 crops um, a year uh, that I was seeing times 10. I saw 2,000 crops of mushrooms in my 10 years there. And most people are seeing one crop a year when they're growing something outside. So it was, it was intense. I loved every minute of it. And, and that just kind of cemented it all for me in terms of, of mushrooms and um, my path forward. Now, I want to take a dive into a couple different types of mushrooms, but here we're talking about, so these are just more uh, mushrooms for food you're talking about, correct? Yes, that's right. Those those were mushrooms we were growing for food. So I, I do want to dive into like using for shamanic tools, but medicine as well, but I feel like mushrooms just as foods are still uh, almost underrated. Like why... I don't know, maybe why is that maybe my perception? Is that, is that a normal thing or are, is this something that's growing like to really use these and realize that uh, mushrooms is food, like there's still a lot to this. It's not just like, oh, an empty calorie or just not much to it. Well, you know what? You, you actually hit the nail on the head there because the reason why mushrooms have never been considered a true food is because they're low in calorie. So, so for traditional nutritionists, anything that was low cal, in other words, didn't give you energy in that sense, they just considered that kind of an empty food. So mushrooms were thought of something that was okay, it will add flavor to a dish or, or something along those lines. But the fact of the matter is, is that mushrooms have a, a good amount of protein, uh, generally speaking, somewhere around uh, 30%. Uh, Carbohydrates somewhere around uh, 50 to 60 percent, 10 percent fat, and 6 percent minerals. And and the interesting thing about it is that those carbohydrates are very special because those carbohydrates are uh, what we would call, for the most part, beta glucans. And beta glucans make up the cell wall of the mushrooms. And it is the beta glucan that all the research has been. Uh, done on and that is what they've shown to be the immunologically active component of mushrooms now is there anything especially just with uh, mushrooms that we're eating for food I mean uh, raw state versus cooked state versus I mean any different things like that how do we get the most out of them basically well um First of all, let me say this. Mushrooms also have a compound in them called chitin. And chitin, we probably know of it as, as that what, uh, which makes up the cells uh, or the cell walls of a crustaceans, like a crab. That is chitin. But that chitin is bound together with the calcium, so it's hard. But the chitin in mushrooms is, is there, and it, it makes mushrooms a little less digestible. So when it comes to digesting mushrooms... One of the keys to it, I would say, is, is A, chew them really well, and B, because of that chitin, mushrooms are very, very high in fiber, and, and that fiber is going to feed your microbiome. So not only are you getting the fiber in there, but that fiber is also part of the beta-glucans that's activating some of those immunological cells. So, so in that sense, mushrooms are, are a really good food, and and you know, they also have things like um, 
what we would call pro-vitamin D. So if you actually take that mushroom and slice it up and ex expose it to sunlight, that uh, compound in mushrooms actually changes to vitamin D2. Jeff, hello? Hello, are you still there? Oh, there we go, yep. Yeah. Well, and, and, and the other thing, um, you know, I would just say, and, and you know what, I, I tell people all the time, I say put mushrooms into your diet. Mushrooms are very flavorful food. Um, mushrooms do have that fiber component in there that is going to feed your microbiome. And, and the way I, I like to prepare them actually is, and, and this is something I think is important, Nick, because, you know, a lot of people, when you talk mushrooms, they go, okay, slimy. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Especially if you, if you try and feed it to your child, right? They go, oh, what's this? Cook the mushrooms in a hot pan. In I cook them in butter, hot pan. I like to cook them very well, and I like to brown them on both sides. And if you put them in a hot pan, part of what happens is you, you maintain... Uh, more of the moisture inside. If you, if you cook them on a low heat, what happens is all of a sudden the water comes out and they're sitting in there and it is just a, a, um, a, a mess of wet mushroom tissue. So similar maybe to like cooking the steak where you started off on high heat, like you're doing that sear and then cooking it all the way through? Yes, absolutely. Okay. That's exactly right. Yeah, get that pan nice and hot, throw them in, uh, try and brown them up. I like to cook them, so, and I'll, I'll flip them around. I'll almost flip the slices around individually so that each side gets a nice browning on it. Pull them out, put a little bit of salt on them, a little bit of pepper, and man, I'll tell you, they, they are delicious. I do agree. <laughs> I'm a big fan of mushrooms. Uh, Jeff, so where I want to take this, if you wouldn't mind, like, Explain to people, because I think people are familiar with uh, just mushrooms as foods, but what is really the difference between mushrooms as food, uh, mushrooms as medicine, mushrooms like the, the psychedelic mushrooms like used for shamanic journeying, like all of these? Uh, what are some of just the different constituents uh, that separate each of these? Well, first of all, the beta-glucans are in the cell wall of the mushroom. So every mushroom that you eat, will in fact have the beta-glucans, which is the immunologically active component of mushrooms. The difference is, is that certain mushrooms have a beta-glucan architecture that makes them more active than the others. And so this is why some mushrooms are actually considered medicinal in the sense of they have these active beta-glucans that will activate receptor sites that we have for for these beta glucans and they will do a couple of things for us they will they will one sit in the background so and this is where eating mushrooms regularly is important they will sit in the background and they will modulate your immune system if your immunity is starting to go down a bit the mushrooms will uh, um, actually promote immune cells are there specific types um, that you would um, for for immunity in particular? Like, are there are there ones that you like uh, over others? Well, you know what. Uh, first of all, let me just say, uh, for a food mushroom and immunity, shiitake is is really uh, the best one because it is a wonderful food. I, I love shiitake. But in terms of if I were to say 
which one mushroom that I really like that as the the highest level of immunological immunologically active mushrooms, I would say that is the reishi. And the reason is that reishi not only has the beta-glucans, but it also has compounds called triterpenes. And triterpenes are, are um, they're, they're compounds that are found in, um, like if you go out to, uh, uh, into a forest and you see uh, pine trees, and they, they have sap there. Triterpenes are, are the components of that sap. They're the components of uh, essential oils. They, they have these flavors and aromas that you would get from that wonderful pitch smell from a pine tree. And, and so these triterpenes have a number of different effects. Some are um, improvement of your liver and any sort of liver dysfunction. Triterpenes are strong antioxidants. And they also have very specific anti-cancer activity as well. So the triterpene is really important and only a few mushrooms have these triterpenes. Reishi is one, chaga is another, and there's a, a couple other less well-known mushrooms that also have triterpenoids. But but that makes reishi very different from all the others. And, and when we test the mushrooms too, reishi has one of the highest levels of beta-glucan. So that really makes it stand out well above all the others. So, and, and just like as a quick resource for everybody, what is it? It's redefining medicinal mushrooms, right? That's what you wrote? Yes, absolutely. That's a white paper that I, I authored in 2015. And redefining medicinal mushrooms was a study I did where we took 95 mushroom samples and we went out onto the market. We took 40 products that we bought right off the internet. Um, I collected a lot of dried mushrooms. Uh, we had a bunch of extracts as well. So we took 95 different samples and we tested them all for beta-glucans and alpha-glucans. And alpha-glucans are starch. Uh, mushrooms do not contain starch. But what we found in our study was that the majority of the products on the market were very low in beta-glucan and very high in starch. And the reason for that was that these products were what a lot of people were calling mycelium. <clears throat> and mycelium is the actual body of this fungus. So think of mycelium as... as um, the root system as well as let's just say the tree the mushroom is the actual fruit of that tree so the mycelium is is the body of this it's underground it's in wood we don't see it very often we don't certainly eat it normally because it is in it's whatever it is feeding on whatever it's growing on a piece of wood or something so we eat the mushroom but this mycelium is being grown out on sterile grain in a laboratory in the United States, and it is being ground up to a powder at the end of the process, and then it is being sold as a mushroom. And, and that's what we found. We found there's all of these products out there. The label said mushroom. The picture on the label said mushroom. But actually, what was in the bottle was mostly grain starch from that grain that they grew the mycelium on, but did not actually take out of that product at the end of it. And, and if you want a, just an idea of what that 
is like. Have you ever heard of the food called tempeh? Yes. Tempeh is actually cooked soybeans with a fungus mycelium grown on it. So when you see tempeh, it's usually a block and it's whitish. Well, that whitish is the mycelium and that's growing on the soybeans. And, and that's essentially what companies in the United States are growing, but they're grinding it all up to a powder without removing the actual grain. And then they're calling it mushroom and selling it to people. And that's this is why this uh, paper that you wrote was fantastic. And I encourage, I, mean, I'll, I'll, I can put some links for people too in the show notes because a lot of what you're going into is this is helping simplify it for me to just get a better understanding. So, okay, I, I love using medicinal mushroom products. I mean, what is it that I really want to look for? I mean, it, how, where do I kind of start with something like this? If it's like, hey, I'm interested in, and we've spoken about um, the chaga, the reishi, like, how do I know what I want to, or what I should really be getting here? Well, first of all, you know, you know, and, and here's something that I want to to definitely stress, and that is that, you know, mushrooms are probably the um, one of those key foods that function as preventive medicines. So, one of the reasons that we take mushrooms is because they're they're helping to prevent us from actually getting sick so they to some degree play a role of regulating homeostasis so that's the whole immunomodulation they're doing this is this is homeostasis and the idea here is balance and harmony and and i know you know that's you you probably know that deeply that that what we're trying to do is is find a balance and find a harmony all of these different things that we do how can we harmonize that how can we we do the right things for our body to where we're just feeling like we're feeling so natural we don't even you know it's like it's just second nature yeah you're not even thinking about it absolutely we don't even think about it right it's like you know uh, in some ways it's like when i'm down here and, and i'm in argentina right now and i'm spending the winter down here and what i do down here nick is i go fly fishing so i'll go to the river i'll stand in the river i'll throw this fly around but while i'm in that river i'm part of that water i am part of that river environment there is nothing that separates me from that so that's kind of what we're looking for here in terms of health and and in terms of mushrooms that's that's what they're going to do for us they are they're in the background they're working to harmonize all of our different uh, bodily functions they're helping us to maintain that homeostasis there Um, and I forget where we were originally going with uh, your question. Well, I was checking to see, um, okay, like a newbie, like somebody just saying, hey, I want, the, I, okay, I'm interested in this chaga, this reishi. How do I know what to get? Like, I know what I'm looking for out of it. Like you said, looking for balance, harmony, the immune modulation, like I'm tired of getting sick, uh, whatever that might be. But how do I know I'm getting something that's actually going to be uh, just beneficial and really help me out? Well, you know what, this is, this is one of the problems, uh, I tell you. I mean, I, I find it absolutely shocking because you can walk into a natural food store and you can go to the shelf and you, there's like 
I mean, there's dozens of different mushroom products on the shelf there. Or just search and, mushrooms on Amazon and see what comes well, up. Either. Yeah. Oh my God. I, I mean, and, and listen, <laughs> it, it's amazing to me because, because Nick, I, I've been doing this actually professionally since 1973 and all of a sudden mushrooms are like the thing. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm like, yeah, I, I was telling you that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Why has nobody listened to me for the last 40 years, right? <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So, so for me, it's, it's so, so interesting. But, but the problem is that here's what happens is growing mushrooms is, is expensive. Mm-hmm. It, it's not cheap. You can grow mushrooms in the United States and you can sell them as food. No problem. But, but when you go into, you go into a supplement, it's a dry product. It's not, it's not a fresh weight product. And mushrooms are 90% water, like most vegetables. So if I sell my fresh mushrooms into the marketplace for $5 a pound, all of a sudden when I dry those out, I have to get $50 a pound for those now. Right. And if we're talking kilos, we're up over $100 for a kilo of simple dried mushroom powder. The economics are not there. So what's happened is in the United States... Companies have grown this mycelium on a sterile grain in a laboratory, and at the end of the process, they have this bag of what I'm telling you is tempeh, and they will dry it, they'll grind it up, they'll put it in capsules, bottles, sell it as a mushroom. The way you know and the way you, you can can uh, delineate those, those products is, A, do they say made in the USA? If they say made in the USA, and this is unfortunate, if they say made in the USA, that's what they are. They're mycelium on grain. Turn it over. Look at the supplements facts panel. The supplements facts panel sometimes will say mycelium. Sometimes in the other, it will actually say myceliated rice or something like this, but oftentimes it won't. So the key thing is, if it says made in the USA, you know for sure that that's what it is. And the other thing is, is, is here, listen, when I go to a trade show, I'll do what I call the, the reishi challenge. And, and I don't know if you've ever had reishi. I hope this Nick, catches on it, like the Pepsi challenge. This is going to be great. <laughs> it's, it's like reishi's bitter. It's very bitter. So, yes. so when you actually do an extract, especially when you taste that, it, you know it. And, and so I have some of this mycelium on grain powder out in front of me, and I have some of our reishi extract there. And I say to people, look, try out this uh, product here and see what you think, and they'll taste the mycelium and the grain. They say, go, well, you know, it's kind of a little bit sweetish, kind of, you know, it tastes, uh, tastes pretty bland. It, it tastes kind of good. I'm like, okay, now now taste this uh, reishi extract. And they taste that, and they're just like, oh, my God. That, I mean, it just explodes in your mouth, right? Because the bitterness is just so powerful and strong. It's actually, I, I kind of like the bitter flavor, but it is potent. And they're just like, oh, they can feel the medicinal effects of that mushroom immediately. And... And so there's your difference right there. So if you if you happen to buy one of these other products and you're not sure, look, just take it out of the capsule, taste it. If it tastes bland and if it has a light color to it, unfortunately, you probably have grain powder there with a little bit of fungal biomass in it. When it, 
So uh, looking at different types of things. So I'm curious about the difference between, okay, something like an extract versus uh, like a tincture, uh, making tea, or even then uh, if, if we're doing it ourselves, like, cause I, I actually like to make tinctures and I want to even check on something like this. Like I've done it with uh, chaga before where I've gotten like uh, larger chunks of chaga, uh, put it yeah. basically like in a coffee grinder uh, and then yeah. put it in alcohol um, after like, is it, are any of these better or worse than others? Like, I'm just curious to see. You mean the, the actual process itself or any of yeah, them better I mean, than are, others? Are there any benefits as far as like one versus another for mushrooms? Well, you know what? First of all, let me say this. If, if you're, if you're just taking a, a dried mushroom mm-hmm. and, and grinding it up to a powder and then let's say taking one gram or something, that's not enough to really get the benefits. If it's just a, a dried mushroom powder, right. you're going to need to take more than that. And that's why for me, I tell people eat mushrooms. That's the first thing you should do then really. And, and what we do is we sell nothing but extracts where we mm-hmm. can actually process that mushroom fiber. And, and when we do that, we are breaking it down to a certain point to where it'll be much more bioavailable. And, and when we when we want to concentrate an extract, what we'll do is, and, and, and you know, I want people to know that, you know, the way I look at an extract is kind of like, okay, have you ever made chicken soup? Have you ever thrown that chicken in there and just let it simmer and just watch all of the oils and everything else come out into that water. This is what we're doing with an extract. And and when it comes to something like a chaga or a reishi, you can put it in there, let's say, um, cut it up the best you can to start, simmer it for three hours, pour the water off, throw it back in, cut it up some more, simmer it again for three hours. Do that three or four times until the water stops turning color. At that point, you'll have most of what's in that reishi mushroom out into uh, water in this case, and um, then you can you can actually go. Okay, how many did I have? One kilo of reishi, and now I've got one liter of water. And then you can go. Okay, I'm going to take X amount of that extract. And, and generally speaking, in in traditional Chinese medicine, what they would say is take a minimum of say five dried grams in that uh, extract. So you can say, okay, there's a kilo that. That gives me um, 200 uh, grams there. So, so, uh, um, and, and then you look at how much you've got in that liter of water, and you sort of dole it out that way, uh, in terms of the doses that you're going to take. Sure, sure. Um, now, now, alcohol is important with reishi or chaga. Alcohol, and if you're doing a tincture with alcohol, then that's something that will help to pull some of those compounds out of the chaga. Grinding it up though is certainly a great way to do it. The more surface area that you can get the better, but I would say definitely cook it a couple of times. Um, One of our extracts, Nick, we actually, the first thing we'll do is we'll extract it once with water, we'll concentrate the water down, and then we'll take that powder and that liquid and we'll send it to a spray dryer. And so we keep the powder powder with that um, product, which we call a one-to-one extract. Our other extracts are eight kilos of uh, dried mushroom to, let's say, one kilo of powdered extract. They're more count- concentrated, which means I can take less of it at one time. But, but I, really, I really advocate people do not undertake these things. I mean, I mean you should, you know, if you're doing just a mushroom powder or, or even, 
even a, an extract, you know, one gram is kind of an entry there. We want to see some results. Okay, if you wouldn't mind uh, even sharing about like uh, Namex and just some of the powders that you're talking about, because I'm curious just to even learn some of the differences. Like I wasn't even aware of like the, I, I understand like the different concentrations, but that's actually really good to know is like, okay, maybe if you're having obviously the less concentrated dose, you really do need like uh, a minimum effective dose from that really. Well, well, yeah. And, and, and you know what, this is, this is something that, that has been around in traditional Chinese medicine for a long time, which is, which is they will take the herb, they'll grind it to a powder, and then they will, will simmer it for uh, two or three hours, concentrate that fluid down to where you've kind of got a syrup, but you've still got the powder in there, and then they will consume it that way, powder and all. And so that's, in a sense, what we're doing with what we call our one-to-one -one extract. Where, and, and with that one-to-one -one extract, we would say, okay, take a minimum of two grams of this, maybe three grams, because you're going to need that much. Because, again, we've helped to break that down to make it a little more bioavailable. But you're still going to need to take a little more than, let's say, if we were to concentrate eight kilos into one kilo of powder, at which point um, we could take maybe um, a gram or 500 milligrams of that more concentrated extract to get up to that level of, and my, my, uh, my normal, what I call normal dose here, I would say five dried grams equivalent either in your extract or in, um, the, uh, straight powder itself, because that is, that is a, what pretty much they figured in China is a, a sort of an entry level. So now how do you use mushrooms, uh, specifically maybe medicinal mushrooms daily uh, for yourself? I mean, we talked about, hey, like you like to cook them up, uh, brown them if you're eating them, just using them as a food. How would you on a daily basis use medicinal mushrooms? Well, I, for me, I prefer the reishi over all the others. And so what I do, reishi's got a uh, the bitterness to it. I'm a coffee drinker. I, I love my coffee. So in the morning I get up, I, I will make my coffee and I will put the reishi extract into my coffee. And, and the nice, the interesting about it is that, you know, we're kind of matching two different, uh, bitter notes. So in a sense, they complement each other. The, the bitterness of the reishi is a really kind of a special bitterness. It's something that, that, I mean, you have to acquire a taste for it, but you put it in with your coffee, and I drink my coffee black. I don't, I don't sweeten it at all. Uh, uh, put it into my coffee, and that's how I start my morning. I start my morning with a, a reishi coffee. And, and I, I use our most concentrated reishi extract. So, so normally I'll put in maybe... 500 milligrams, that's probably max because that ratio extract is a 16 to 1 extract. I mean, I mean, Nick, it is like Yeah, that's super potent, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is a powerhouse, and that's the one where we do the the, um, the ratio challenge with. And I don't know if you had any, but I'll send you some because it is, it is a great product. And again, for me, you know, I, I'm uh, – I'm, getting on so to speak i actually turned 70 years old this year and congratulations and so, so, thank you uh and and uh what happens as you get older of course is is your your immunity goes down a little bit you don't heal quite as fast but but all in all let me tell you i feel 
great. I feel really good. And the reishi is just kind of that, I don't know whether you'd call it insurance policy or it's just, again, that <clears throat> one herbal medicine that I think can really help me. And <clears throat> I, I, I'm not somebody that, that likes to take anything. I really don't. I don't, I don't take any, um, any pharmaceutical drugs right now. The only thing I would, I would ever take would might be occasionally I might take an IBU for a headache or something like that. But I just don't like taking those kind of things. I, I truly believe in getting most of what I need out of my foods and the reishi is really my supplement to my foods. And, and I really, um, really believe in that and, and and that's what that's how they use it in china it, it is called the mushroom of immortality and and the reason <laughs> i love that as a name like that if there was ever a catch for something it's like the mushroom of immortality like there's just something about I know. that i know it, it's kind of like you know you it's like searching for the long lost mushroom of immortality right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know what the, the interesting thing about that in terms of a mushroom search is I don't know if you've ever got out and done any wild mushrooming, but, you know, hunting for wild mushrooms is, is so much fun. And it is literally, I mean, you can go out and you can, you can find certain reishi species in North America. You can go out and you can harvest those. Now, of course, you need somebody who can identify them properly. Know what you're doing you first, share. yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Let's make that uh, clear. But it's like a treasure hunt. You go out and and you never know what you're gonna find. You may find nothing, but you know, in a, in a sense, it's almost like when I go out trout fishing to the river. I don't know whether I'm gonna catch a fish. Catching a fish is kind of, I mean, yeah, I'm out there. I'm interested in in catching a trout. I I'm really into catch and release, so I catch it. I let it go. We've played a little game on my terms, I'll say, but but. That's kind of the mushroom hunt. It's a treasure hunt, and, and it's another one of those things where you go out. If you find something, it's like, wow. If you don't, hey, you just took a very pleasant walk in the woods. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I grew up doing this with my grandfather, and uh, there's just nothing. It's the same thing. Like he, I would go hunting with him. I would go fishing. But like you said, it's any and all of those things. You might find something. You might catch something, whatever it is. You might not, but you spent a couple hours outside and hopefully you just enjoyed it. Oh, man. I mean, I mean, that's really important. You know, it's kind of like telling people, look, it's not getting from A to B. It's it's the journey there. It's it's what happens in between, you know, and, and so often people get get blinded to the fact of, oh, I've got to get somewhere. I've got to get there. And once I'm there, man, will things be different. And then they get there and they go, oh, my, things aren't different. Well, if I could just get to there, things would be different. And, you know, they, they never are for those kind of people because they don't, I guess at times people, and especially these days, you know, I mean, people are so um, uh, walking around and they're, they're, everything is so fast in, in North America these days. It is just, it's got to be now, it's got to be instant and and, you know, it's kind of like wake up and, and look around because you're missing what's going on. So, Jeff, one of the things that you sent me, uh, like, 
it, it, it took us a while to get connected here, but we were finally able to. And one of the things you said was like mushrooms as friends. And the way that you're talking about Reishi, like there just seems to be this connection. And I'm curious, like I, I actually feel like a connection with Chaga. There's something about it. Like it, I, I don't know what it does for me, but like how would you describe that? Or is this something that you've cultivated like uh, over time, just being able to spend so much time uh, with these mushrooms or is it like, is it, is it an individual thing? What do you think on that? Well, you, you know what? Um, I, I uh, spent a lot of time in China in the nineties. In fact, I first went over there in 1989 and I spent the whole nineties going around uh, to farms to processing facilities, I, I went to conferences, I visited uh, uh, scientific research stations, and and at that point in time, reishi was the main mushroom that that I knew about, that I had read about, that had a long, long history of use, and and what. I discovered when I was over there is they have depictions of reishi all throughout China, not only in their art, but in a lot of their uh, architecture. And that's that wonderful uh, spiraling ram sort of horn shaped cap, that kidney shaped cap, that red color. It is just a beautiful, beautiful mushroom. And, and you know, when you take that mushroom, and, and that sometimes there'll be a, a particular one that, that is just especially beautiful. And you can, what happens when it grows is when it releases its spores, the spores will drop down and then they'll, they'll come back up and they'll cover the top of the cap. So the cap will be kind of brown with these spores. When you wipe those off and get uh, that, uh, that layer of spores off the top of the cap, and then when you just rub a little bit of oil into it, you shine these things up, and they are beautiful. In fact, uh, lucidum, Ganoderma lucidum, which was the, the name, the botanical name for this particular species, that has the meaning of, of, of lucid light. This is something that is, is just there kind of shining brightly, and, and that's the way reishi is for me, and that's what really attracted uh, me to it and also the fact that it's one of the the major medicinal mushrooms that has been around for as long as just about anything else and there are stories upon stories of this mushroom there's stories of emperors sending out hundreds and hundreds of people to collect these reishi from around and bring them back to them there's stories of a reishi that is has grown inside one of the the compounds in the Forbidden City and and what an auspicious moment that was. In fact, they call it the auspicious herb and and the good luck herb. So there's really something about reishi that, that is is really beautiful, not just from a, a um, um, standpoint of how it looks, but also just all the stories about it. It has captured the imagination of people. Okay, so you you studied more uh, in China, and uh, like I said, we were going back and forth a little because you've been doing some traveling now. Uh, I'm curious, like, do you think do you think you would be interested in uh, mushrooms differently had you spent time in different parts of the world, uh, like just ones that would be more native to other areas? 
Well, you know what? I, I, I'm, you know, as, as somebody who has done a lot of wild mushroom hunting and, and, you know, a lot of these mushrooms occur all over the world. It, it, it was, it probably would have been different. For example, <laughs> I, uh, I actually went to high school in, in Phoenix, Arizona. I lived for five years in Phoenix, Arizona. Well, let me tell you, Nick, I didn't do a lot of mushroom hunting in Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> so, so, you know, fortunately, uh, my senior year, we moved back to Seattle where I was raised and I was back sort of in my, my green zone. So, so that, you know, allowed me to continue on with, uh, with sort of my, my, um, relationship with mushrooms. And, and, you know, the other thing about it is that in the in the seventies, when I was working as a mushroom grower, um, there was so much interest at that time in our sort of counterculture in mushrooms and their role in in prehistory. And we had uh, I was part of a group called Micromedia. We had four mushroom conferences. We brought in people from all over to talk about. Um, historical use of mushrooms, uh, mushroom growing, uh, mushroom identification. I mean, the Northwest during the 70s and early 80s was just a buzz with people that were hunting for wild mushrooms. And, and the interesting part about it is, okay, those people are still out there, but, but when cultivation came in, and of course that's my, my um, forte is really mushroom cultivation, and and uh, when cultivation came in, a lot of people that were out looking for wild mushrooms went, gee, I want to start growing mushrooms. And, and in 1983, I actually co-authored a book called The Mushroom Cultivator, and it's called A Practical Guide to Growing Mushrooms at Home. And that book, um, I co-authored it. We published that book in 1983, Nick, and you know that even today we sell 5,000 copies a year of that book. That's pretty impressive to still and <laughs> have that type of uh, <laughs> can you imagine? Reach? Yeah, can you can you imagine? It's like it's still selling, and, and and the reason was is that that book was was it just put everything into the right let's just say form. It wasn't too complex, but it was very practical. Here's how you can grow mushrooms. Here's how you can set up a, a small laboratory to grow your mushroom spawn. Uh, here's the different techniques you can use to grow your mushrooms uh, on your property, at home. So that book was really a, um, a, a important work in a lot of ways. And, and hundreds, thousands of people have uh, grown mushrooms uh, because of that book. And, and I'm really so proud of that. And, and you know, the other thing I'll, I'll, I want to say, too, is that, you know, China gets a lot of bad press, Nick. I mean, and, and rightly so. I mean, you know, and, and when people bash China and, and I'm over there every year, I have Chinese friends. They're wonderful people, let me tell you. And, and, and you know, we used to, I remember back in the 50s, people driving down the road and, and whatever it was, they just threw it out the window. I mean, it was like the environment was a garbage can. And, and the chemicals we use um, on, on our crops, I mean, most of the produce out there in the marketplace is not organic produce. It's, it's chemically laden. I've been certified organic since 1992. In 1997, 
I organized a seminar in China for organic certification of mushrooms. It was the very first seminar, very first workshop on organic certification of mushrooms in China, 1997. Since then, about 2000, I started getting organic mushrooms out of China, not certified by Chinese certifiers, by by high-quality German certifiers. That started something off in China. And and to me, I, I believe that was very, very important because it's like, okay, what can we do to help? What can we do to show them? It's just like in, in uh, North America. Think of the organic movement in North America and what it was like in the, the 70s and 80s in a small little group and growing organic produce. And people are like, yeah. You know, sure, whatever, you know, a granola <laughs> eaters and stuff like that, right? Well, well, so, so our products, when we grow them in China and we, when we bring them over, they get tested and tested and tested. Before they leave China, we test them for pesticides. We test them for heavy metals. When they land in the U.S. where we have a warehouse for our products, they get tested for heavy metals. They get tested for pesticides. They're tested twice for everything before we can sell them. I can't sell the products unless they meet those standards. So, so we, we, we see companies out there bashing us and saying, oh, yeah, Chinese products, you know, yada, yada. And I just think, look, you know, it's, it's not about necessarily where they're grown. It's whether or not they meet the standards. And, and our products do. And. And let me tell you, I'm really proud of that. And that's fantastic. Like, as you should be. It, it doesn't matter where something is grown. And especially, I, I, I think about the, like, the way that you've been talking about this and the way the Chinese culture oh. has embraced mushrooms for, I mean, thousands of years, right? What better yes. place to be able to... To, to, to get these from to be able to share with the rest of the world I think too well and and you know what that China is where mushroom cultivation got its start in the in the 12th century now can you imagine you, you know we can look at we, we can look at plants right we can go okay a plant let's see we, we've got a seed oh yeah there's a seed let me plant that in the ground oh look something grows simple right but you look at a mushroom and you, you go okay um there's no seeds. What, what am I supposed to do to try and grow this thing, right? Well, it's growing off this log. What can I do? Well, in the 12th century, they figured out that a mushroom produces spores. So, so they would take, A, they would collect spores and start to inoculate new logs with spores. They would take pieces of the mushrooms and they would make a little cut in the, the wood and put a piece of this mushroom cap there. So they started that in the 12th century. They figured that out, and that's where mushroom cultivation started. And and you think, okay, in Europe, mushroom cultivation got started in the 18th century, and, and uh, sort of the it was it's kind of the same way because what they did is they saw this mushroom growing up in a pasture, and they went okay, um, you know, they've been picking it for how many thousands of years, and then someone finally went, you know, when we pull this thing out of the ground, it's got these, these kind of this root system attached. And so someone went, okay, well, let's dig up that area where it's growing, and let's put it into something similar, 
and that was called that was called uh, basically a natural spawn, and that's how they started the mushroom industry in Europe. But that was like um, eight hundred years later, almost seven hundred <laughs> years later, when they started it. And, and and again, it was like okay, let's let's and and actually, they were using this natural spawn right up until oh, I mean the early. 1900s they were still using this kind of spawn and then once they they got it growing in their beds they would use the the uh, mycelium that had grown in the bed to start a new bed and you know it's just that observe uh, see what grows but but again they had it figured out in China back in the 12th century and not only that today in Asia there are probably at least a dozen different mushrooms in the marketplace that you can buy for food. And and last time I was in China, Nick, I had a uh, um, they cooked up a plate of cordyceps, and cordyceps is known as the, as the caterpillar fungus. But right now, they actually have learned how to grow. Cordyceps, and the one they grow is called Cordyceps militaris, and it is bright orange, and it looks like it looks like a little kind of a little thin worm. It's really <laughs> cool looking. I've got a I've got a picture on the website. But here's this plate of this mass of these orange kind of worm looking things, and and I'm just like you know I've I've had some before, and I'm just like oh thank you so much, and they are so delicious I mean absolutely delicious and I'm just like chowing down on these corsets and and this is a this is a mushroom literally that was just brought into cultivation in the last eight years and and when you bring a new mushroom into cultivation it is a huge deal because right now you can only cultivate maybe at most 20 mushrooms out of the thousands out there so 20 mushrooms can be cultivated, and they just learned how to, how to cultivate cordyceps. And for the first time, rather than depending on a wild-crafted cordyceps that grows on a caterpillar that comes out of the highlands of Tibet and, and Sichuan province in China, we can actually grow cordyceps now, and we can offer it for a reasonable price. You know that, that wild-crafted cordyceps, they sell it over there right now for somewhere around fifteen to twenty thousand dollars a kilogram. <laughs> so good I mean, luck trying to get that. some of that. Yeah. Oh my God! I mean, it's like no, we sell uh, our cordyceps one to one extract of this beautiful orange cordyceps military. We sell that for seventy dollars a kilogram. So think about that. People now have the the um, ability to actually buy real cordyceps fruiting body, the actual mushroom without the caterpillar. And let me tell you, in the early 90s, I was going to the Natural Foods Expos in Los Angeles, walking around the floor uh, with a, a reishi mushroom in my hand, trying to interest people in it. And people just looked at it like, what is that, a, a, a piece of wood? What do you have there? And they say, no, it's a mushroom. They've used it in herbal medicine. And, and I have to explain this to people. And then when I would say to them, and by the way, I've also got this cordyceps here. It's, uh, see this little uh, dried up um, 
looks like a, a blade of grass that's growing off the end of this caterpillar. And they're looking at me like, dude, you are really far gone. <laughs> so, Jeff, I mean, I, actually, one question that I really had for you, um, I'm, I'm into strength athletics. Like, I love competing in strongman. Is there yep. anything, like, either just research-wise or uh, anything you would have advice for uh, strength athletes uh, specifically as far as um, mushrooms, medicinal, medicinal mushrooms, whatever it might be? And, like, are there any benefits, properties that they could use those for? Well, you know what? Uh, a lot of people in athletics are drawn to cordyceps. And, and the reason is that cordyceps has traditionally been used for fatigue. Mm-hmm. And, and and actually for asthenia, which is is uh, tiredness after an illness or something like that. So they have done tests with cordyceps, and and one of the tests, and and it's kind of a, you know, I don't know what to say about this test, but they do a swimming test of mm-hmm. mice, and they put him in a, a pool of water and let him swim, and they feed him cordyceps for so many uh, weeks before they swim, and then they have a control that hasn't had any cordyceps, and in these tests. They show that cordyceps does increase the time that these mice are able to swim significantly. Right, so, their point so to exhaustion, they, right? That's right. That's exactly right. So there does seem to be something to that. That um, and so so there, I would say cordyceps is certainly one I would I would look for. And, and while I say that there is a there would back in the early nineties. There was a big deal about Chinese women runners breaking all sorts of records, and and the coach said, "Oh, they're they're breaking those records because they've trained at high altitude and they've been taking cordyceps." And this became like a huge deal, like cordyceps. My God, I was like, "Holy smokes, what a wonderful thing!" Now I want everybody to know that actually was not cordyceps. That was I mean, some of those records are still there today and they broke these records like for the 5,000 and 10,000 meter by by in some cases 50 seconds. Those records still stand today which is unheard of. Well, back in the 90s they did not have tests for EPO. And it turns out later that the Chinese like everybody out there it seems like Lance Armstrong were using (laughs) those types of of, uh, performance enhancing uh, drugs and the Chinese were so so whatever you do if, if you're out there looking at cordyceps and, and thinking about taking it forget totally about that whole um, Chinese women runners and cordyceps being the reason that they did so well it wasn't cordyceps however I think cordyceps is something people could definitely take the other thing too is is you know you have to you have to remember too that that when your immune system is, let's just say, uh, modulated in a positive way, that's going to affect you in so many different ways. And so much of the research that I've read, when they talk about the different effects of these mushrooms, they, they literally say that so much of that gets right back to those beta-glucans and that immunological enhancement. So it's more than just you know, one particular mushroom or one particular uh, compound in, in uh, one of these uh, mushrooms. It's what they all share, which are the beta-glucans. So, so really, um, that, that's the one thing I would say where 
you know, you could be taking reishi, you could be taking cordyceps. Either one of these things could give you something there athletically. The other thing, too, that I think is important to know is when they did actually do a trial using cordyceps with a high-level athletes, they found that there really wasn't uh, any benefits. So in other words, a Olympic athlete or somebody that was out there at close to peak performance already, cordyceps did not seem to offer them any real benefits. And they indicated in the study they thought it would probably help somebody who was who was not at that level more than it would just a, a high-level athlete. Now, and I'm curious, like this was using like proper cordyceps like we talked about, not getting like all the grain. This is more like the actual course. <laughs> no, no, I'm serious because I think this no, is no, a no. very think, important thing to ask and know about. Uh, you know, no, no, you, you're absolutely right. And, and let me just say this, you know, there is a lot of research out there that's been done on mycelium. There's next to no research. There's very little research that's been done on mycelium on grain for good reason. One, it's a, it's a novel product. And for two, when they're, when they're actually trying to find benefits from mushrooms, they want to use pure mycelium. They don't want something that's mostly grain. So, so um, that, particular, that particular, you know what it looks like? Um, I would have to look because that is a really, really good question because one of the big problems with the science generally is, and this drives me nuts, is that nobody is using a standardized product. Nobody is actually characterizing what they are using very well. So they say, okay, we created this extract of reishi mushroom and we used it in our tests. Well, tell me more about exactly how you you created your extract. Did you have any any particular test where you could say, okay, here's a profile of that so that we could in fact um, repeat that. So that, that's something that, that um, one has to look at the specific paper uh, to go, okay, what, what was it actually that they were using in that particular test? And, and I, can, I can look that up for you and, and get back to you on that uh, because I think it's, it's kind of interesting that whole idea that look if you're up there at peak performance already something like the marsh now maybe it would help help in a different way maybe it would help in terms of just keeping a person healthy i know sometimes athletes at peak performance a lot of them tend to crash and a lot of them tend to have like um oh they'll just come down with a flu or something and just yeah, be your, wiped your body's under so much stress of of just the competition of the physical exertion so yeah the immune modulation i would think would have a tremendous effect at that point i think too. you're i think you're absolutely right and i think from that perspective absolutely right and, and maybe with that cordyceps study what they were looking at was you know of course just okay what was the time here was the time better or was it not whereas the fact of the matter is just in terms of uh, modulating your immunity and allowing you to deal with the, the stressors that are, are being put on your body, that would definitely be uh, helpful. 
Well, Jeff, our hour has just absolutely flown by here. Uh, oh I just would ask if you wouldn't mind just kind of sharing uh, for the listeners, like where can they find out more about you, what you're up to, what you have going on? Uh, just I, I think everybody's, at least it, it, hopefully everybody's as interested as me because I found this absolutely <laughs> fascinating. So thank you so much. Oh, uh, you're so welcome. Um, I, I uh, My company is called Namex, N A. M-M-E-X. Uh, please go to our website. It's namex.com. Nick, we have got so much content there. People can read about my study, Redefining Medicinal Mushrooms. We've got a lot of other uh, studies there. We've got just so much information to educate people. So much of what I do is educate people about mushrooms, about their benefits, and, and two, we have a lot of information about what to look for when you're looking for a mushroom product and why you should be actually looking for a genuine mushroom product. The other, the other place where you can get our products actually is called realmushrooms.com. We have, we're, we're primarily a raw material supplier to other companies, but we do sell some of our products online um, to consumers and so you can actually do the Reishi Challenge yourself. You can go to <laughs> realmushrooms.com and, and try them out. And, and listen, I, I appreciate so much being able to talk to you. And, and you know, I looked at your <clears throat> site. I looked about at the stuff that you were talking about. And I, you're just into all the right things. I mean, I was really impressed with it all. I mean, whether it was, you know, sleep or chewing your food. Man, well, I when you said know. that about the mushroom, I found that like <laughs> instantly it was like, so it's like anything else. You should make sure that you chew it very well. You're going to well, get the fiber out of it. <laughs> well, yes, exactly. And, and, you know, there's simple things like that that we all need to be aware of that are important for our health. Just like, just like you know, I, I normally when I'm at home will do a, a one-hour weight workout because at my age I really need to maintain strength. I'm not looking to to bulk up or anything, but I need to maintain my, my tone and my strength. But the other thing that I do and I, I feel so is so important is I get out and walk. I'm not a jogger. I'm not a runner. I, I walk. Um, I'll walk for one to two hours a day. That's kind of what I want to do. I get fresh air. I move along. It's the most natural thing as a human that, that we do. I mean, so, so those are things that that I do, and again, I I love what you're doing, and thank you again for having me on. For sure, Jeff, it has been an absolute blast. Make sure everybody namex.com, realmushrooms.com. Uh, I encourage the the Reishi Challenge uh, here to come and really see what the difference is between mushrooms, because there is going to be a difference, and I think everybody can uh, find a little something for themselves and, and really reap the benefits there. So, Jeff, thank you again so much. Thank you, Nick. It's been a pleasure. Hey guys, and thank you for listening to the Bare Naked Health Podcast. If you want to support the show, please head over to iTunes, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, give a five-star rating, positive comment. This really helps other people find this show uh, or just share it with your friends. Uh, Hopefully they can get something out of it too, but thank you very much and look forward to talking to you soon.